0: This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. I'm doing a short series of messages entitled Defending a Lion, playing on the words of Martin Luther, who said, Defending the Bible is like defending a lion. The truth is, I feel inadequate in this task. And that is why I really pray that the Holy Spirit, who authored the Bible, would take the words that I'm going to be speaking and bring a personal revival for each one of us. For a revival starts in each of us individually, and then the fire would catch, and a revival comes to the church. I have always believed And I always will believe until the Lord takes me home that the Word of God is a mighty power when it is read, applied, and obeyed. When it is read, applied, and obeyed. Say those with me. When it is read, applied, and obeyed. Through the years especially at Leading the Way when we started the New Language Program and was going on to different languages around the world, and we would offer on radio for most of these countries a Bible in their language. And we would get letters, and believe it or not, I have kept some samples of those letters. There were thousands of them. One said, I hunger to read the Word of God of which you speak but I cannot get it in my country. Another person said, I long to read for myself the wonderful truth about Jesus. Please send me a Bible. A third said, I thirst like a man with parched lips in a spiritual desert for God's Word. I must confess to you, whenever I used to read these letters, and I still do read these letters, And I contrast this is incredible thirst and hunger for the word of God. When I contrast that with what is happening for us here in the West, the indifference that we have toward the Word of God, the abandoning of the Word of God, I must confess to you, I deeply grieve. In the West, just the average home probably has more than one Bible gathering dust. I read survey after survey, I don't live by surveys, but Sometimes when they're all saying the same thing, I like to stop and just take notice. And, and every survey, there, basically the conclusion is the same. 18%, that's one-eighth percent, of professing Christians daily read their Bible. That 82% of the Bibles are seldom opened in homes. Oh, to be sure, the Bible is still the best-selling book, but it is the least-read book. That convinced me that the real reason behind our increased social and moral upheaval in this country is because we have abandoned and ignored the Word of God. An unknown author said the following. He said, the Bible is the only book that contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation the doom of sinners, the happiness of the believer. Read it and be wise. Believe it and be saved. Practice it and be holy. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, and the soldier's sword. Read it slowly, read it frequently, and read it prayerfully. And I want to say, Amen belongs here. There is no book like it. There is no book like it. That no book has ever been produced anywhere in the world or anywhere at any time in history. In it, God reveals Himself to us. And in doing so, He used 40 different writers over a period between 15 to 1600 years. Even though there were 40 writers, 15, 1600 years span, and yet they all consistently tell the same story. The Bible is free from factual contradictions. Its theme is consistent. It is free from human orchestration. If I'm writing the Bible, I would have kept all that bad stuff out and make people look good. It is free from human orchestration. It is written with people of varied backgrounds, from kings to doctors to shepherds to tax collectors. It is written in different periods of time in world history. It is written in different parts of the world, from Europe to Asia to Babylon. There is no book like it. In all of human endeavor, there is no book like it, not even close in its uniqueness. Imagine a book that is written 500 years ago, say, about medicine or or science. 500 years, not 15 or 16, and not 3,000 years ago, but just 500 years. Imagine that book is as accurate today as the day it was written. Impossible, right? And that is why there is no book like it. While it contains 66 books, 40 different writers, over a span of fifteen or 1,600 years, and it contains various subjects— but it only has one theme, Jesus Christ the Redeemer. That is the theme of the entire Bible. The books of the Old Testament tell us that He's coming, and then the New Testament announces He's here. The Old Testament predicts His coming. The New Testament pronounces His arrival. The Old Testament anticipates the coming of Jesus. The New Testament receives Him gladly. There is no book like it there's no book like it. Those 66 books, in one book, they don't tell 66 stories. (laughs) No, they all tell one story. What is it? Man's rebellion against God and God's redemption for everyone who repent of that rebellion. And that is why, to this day, the unity of the Bible has defied human wisdom— the unity of the Bible has baffled the critics. The unity of the Bible challenges its enemies. The unity of the Bible goads its opponents. There is no book like it. Every prophecy that began by saying, thus says the Lord, it came to pass with a meticulous details and precision. It's the only book that I know of that has endured the centuries of being attacked, maligned, barred, burned and buried, and yet it stands. It stands. I C. Conrad says the following words: Centuries followed centuries. there it stands. Empires rose and empires fell and forgotten. There it stands. The storms of hate have swirled around it, and about it, there it stands. Higher criticism have denied its claims. There it stands. Infidels have predicted its demise. There it stands. Modernism has tried to undermine it, but there it stands. There is no book like it. I remember my one and only visit to China, and I met with some leaders of the underground church, and they were telling me that back in the days of the cultural revolution and the communists, they were shredding the Bible. But the believers at that time picking up the shreds and trying to assemble it together so they can read it. Think about that. Think about that. Throughout history, people have either loved the Word of God or hated the Word of God. People either believed it or they rejected it. Throughout history, they have tried to change it. They've tried to modify it. They've tried to undermine its authority. they tried to water down its demands. (laughs) Throughout history, dictators, despots, and potentates have sought to banish it. Yet, they are all dead, and the Word of God still lives today. Amen. Amen. Give God glory. Please hear me right. What tears me up, what tears me up about the Bible today is this. What despots, atheists, communists, godless people fail to accomplish is being accomplished by Christians in spades. He said, Michael, how come? By not reading it, believing it, trusting it, and obeying it. They are accomplishing what these despots could not accomplish. And that is why my prayer throughout this short series of messages that everyone, everyone, everyone at the sound of my voice would be awakened afresh as to the joy and the power that can only come from reading, believing, and obeying the Word of God. I know we all talk to ourselves. We all self-talk. And I just wonder how many of us have ever asked the question, why would some people who claim to love God, and they may even claim Jesus as their Savior, and yet they'll spend more time watching television, playing golf, reading books, socializing, (laughs) than reading the Word of God? Have you ever thought about this? No, nothing wrong with these things. I I do all of these things, uh, except that golf thing. Uh, I don't understand anybody spending money to get frustrated. (laughs) I tried it once or twice. But for some reason, we have time for everything, except spending time with the Word of God and drinking deeply from it and gaining the benefits. The common answer that When I ask people, you know, about the Bible, why didn't you read it? Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. You have time for everything else. And to make things worse, many evangelical preachers today are casting doubt in people's mind about the authenticity and the infallibility of the Word of God. This is how they go about it. In order to be popular, in order to be liked, they say, well, if you have problem believing the Jonah story that he was inside the whale well for three days, well, ditch it. You don't have to believe it. You have a problem accepting the events, historical events of the flood and Noah and the Ark and all that. Just ditch it. You don't like the fact that God is both loving God and a justice God that is his judges and he will judge the world. We well, don't have to believe it. There's, oh, I believe it, but you don't have to believe it. Do you want to believe that God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, no matter how ludicrous that may sound, Well, you don't have to believe it. Regardless. Oh, don't worry about it. Believe what you like and don't believe the other stuff. Other preachers, they'll wave big black Bible, and they say, "I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, but never preach it." So much so that George Marsden said 85% of the students in one of America's largest evangelical seminary do not believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. No wonder less than 18% of Christians read the Scripture regularly. Well, after this very short introduction. I want to share with you, and it's going to be very brief, I want to share four things. The Bible is the only spiritual food that will nourish your soul. And secondly, the Bible is the only power that you can have in your life, power for living. And thirdly, it is the only mirror that will truly reveal to you your true self. The only mirror. And fourthly, it is a perfect temperature shower that can wash you and cleanse you. Here, let's look at those four things very quickly. First of all, the Word of God is the only food. It's the only food. I am not against preaching. I preach. (laughs) I'm not against reading other books. I write books. But I'm telling you now, on the authority of the Word of God, that the Word of God itself is the only food that will sustain you spiritually. Spiritually that will nourish you spiritually, that will encourage you every day. The analogy between the physical body and the spiritual body is often mentioned in the Scripture. That just as our physical bodies need nutrients, need good food, nutritious food, for the body to be strong and survive, so is the spiritual food is needed for our spirits. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses said to the people of God, he said, the reason God provided you with the manna in the wilderness is so that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And just let me remind you, in case you don't know or can't remember, that those are the very words of the Old Testament that Jesus used when He defeated Satan in the wilderness. Job twenty three twelve says, "I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my daily bread." Now, beloved, I know, and I know you know, that in this country, at least, we haven't missed too many meals. We haven't missed too many meals. Thank God. I'm not going to make you feel guilty about it. I just thank God. But how in the world can we go months after months? without feeding our spirits on the Word of God. We work hard to provide daily food for our families, and that's wonderful. It's good. <laughs> we work hard to stay healthy, and that's great. We work hard to educate our children. We work hard for physically to thrive. And yet, when it comes to feeding of our spirits, <laughs> feeding of our soul, we think that we can survive in few crumbs that we get here, there, and everywhere. No! Listen to what God said through Isaiah 55 too. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Beloved, listen to me. The reason we are spiritually in a famine The famine, the spiritual famine we're in today is because God's people are so malnourished to the point of getting into a coma. The Word of God is not only the only food that's worthy of the name for your spirit, but secondly, it is the only power for living. When Romans 16 says, one of my life verses... I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power—say that with me—the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. And now we're forever looking for power. I think every single person at some point is looking for power. We're looking for power over our circumstances. When we feel helpless, we're looking for power over our lives. We're looking for power over the challenges of life that we all face. But what we do, we go and look for that power in self help books and self motivational books and, and how to books. All of these are fine, but they will not give you the real power that you hunger for. We leave out the only book that has the power, we forget that the Word of God is the only power over sin. That the Word of God is the only power over temptation. That the Word of God is the only power over our circumstances. That the Word of God is the only power over diseases and illnesses. That the Word of God is the only power over the challenges of life. The Word of God is not only food for our soul. The Word of God is not only a power for living. But thirdly, the Word of God is the only mirror that can truly reveal to you yourself, the only one. And I wondered in my own spirit, now thinking aloud, I wonder, because the fact that the Word of God is a mirror that reflects back to us our real self, that's why people don't want to read it. I just wondered. I- I'm not making a statement, I'm thinking aloud. <laughs> We find reality to be very difficult to handle. And so we try to live in the fantasy world. People are often saying, I've got my mind made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. How many people have you heard say that? <laughs> in fact, that's what these call reality shows on television. They're really not reality at all. That's fake. They're acting to the camera. They've got a camera going, and they're acting to the camera. They're not reality. It's fake most people, Christians included, do not want to be confronted with their failures. You know, in my late teen years, God allowed so many failures in my life. I didn't like it. It wasn't great. In fact, so much of it that made me despair of life itself. One day I'm going to write a a more extended biography then uh, Trust and Obey, where I can t- tell some of these stories. But I thank God I lived long enough that I can look back and I say, God, thank you for these failures. Why? Because back yonder, God was teaching me and preparing me to stand in this pulpit and by helping me to learn how to confront my failures. And let me tell you, there were not few in number. You see, most people don't want to be confronted with their hypocrisy. Most people don't want to be confronted by their double standards. Most people don't want to be confronted by their compromises. Most people don't want to be confronted by their complacency. A preacher preaches about prayer, and they feel guilty, and they're going to start prayer life, and they do okay for a while, and then back to normal. Uh, preacher preach about the Word. Oh, I've got to read the Word of God. I've got to be cont- I'm, But that's complacency. It's a permanent change that God is looking for. So what do we do? Most people stop looking in the mirror, thinking, well, if I don't look in the mirror, I won't see myself, I won't confront my failures, I won't confront these things that I don't like. Please, please, write right on this. The mirror confronts us with facts. And so many would say, because of that, I don't like to look in the mirror. I'm not going to look in the mirror. <laughs> James, the half-brother of Jesus, said the following in chapter 1 of James 1:23 and 24, Anyone who listens to the Word of God, but does not do, does not do what it says, would be like a man who looks... His face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, gets away, immediately forgets what he saw. I wonder how many of us really, really enjoy and likes looking in the mirror, first thing in the morning. when you wake up. When I'm talking about, you know you know what I mean? When, when your hair is so disheveled and, and your face looks like a truck has been <laughs> driven all over it. Now, in my case, it's a horror show. I mean, it's really scary. But please listen, listen. Looking at the mirror is precisely what caused me to do something about it. Looking at the mirror is what propels me to hit the shower and do a few other things. Some of us do more than others, but that's okay. (laughs) Now, suppose you look and you see yourself, and then you say, Well, I don't like what I see, but you know what? I won't do anything about it today. I might do something about it sometime down the road. And then you go to work just the way you are. That would be a horror show for everybody else. (laughs) But that's precisely what happens when a believer looks at the Word of God as a mirror and confronts failure, frailty, inconsistencies, and the list goes on and on and on. But that's why we do something about it. Trust me, if you don't do something about it, it's only gets worse by time, in time. Or I'm just, ah, let me pretend that everything is fine, that I look okay. Or I'm going to pretend that I'm, I'm just going to fake it with everybody else. Or I'm just going to put a mask on and hope that will mask how I really look. Here's the problem. When you go out that door, everybody else will see it except you. Listen to what Hebrews said, chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. It penetrates deep, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and motives. It judges us And I am personally convinced, again, I take full responsibility for what I'm saying. This is my opinion, not the Word of God. But I am personally convinced that some of modern-day evangelical preachers, in order to go on the offensive, I already said the Word of God judges our thoughts and our motives. So what they do, they sit on judgment on the Word of God, instead of allowing the Word of God sit on judgment on them. Yeah, go on the offensive. That may not be relevant. Well, it's not for today. Go on the offensive. Judge the Word of God. But thank God, the Word of God is not only a mirror, but fourthly, and perhaps the most important, is a perfect temperature water shower. It cleanses. Ephesians 5.26 says, The Word of God is like a perfect temperature shower. Now, I know some of you think this is a rough translation, but trust me, that's what he meant to say. They didn't have showers back then, but that's what he would have said. Regardless of how terrible you may look, regardless of how much dirt you might have accumulated, regardless of how much filth that you feel you're carrying— The moment you go under the shower, you're 100% cleansed. Can I get a witness? But here's the thing, why I said the fourth one is really the most important. Because if you imagine the following scenario, suppose you look in the mirror, maybe you're working and looking like a grease monkey, and you look in the mirror, but you can't do anything about it you can't do anything about it. you got to live with that. Just think about it. How depressing that would be! How frustrating that would be! I can't change that condition. I think I know you agree with me. You agree with me about the frustration and depression that could result. But thanks be to God… That His Word is not only a mirror that reveals ourselves to us, but it also a shower that washes us. Get under it; you will feel 100% better. You will walk away rejoicing. I'm going to explain this. What I mean by the mirror and the shower, and you have to understand the Word of God interprets the Word of God. I, I, I don't have the answers. Thank God for that. <laughs> In First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, here's what he said. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. You notice? Not just reading it, obeying it. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the Word of God, so that you have sincere love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, love one another deeply from the heart. What has this got to do with the mirror and the shower? Everything to do with it. Listen carefully. Because I know experientially, and I know most of you do. Here's what it means. You take a good look in the mirror and you see resentment, bitterness. What you do, you go under the shower, the Word of God. And what does the Word of God will do? It will replace that resentment and bitterness by love for one another. See, that's That's what it means. The love of Christ will start pouring into you that the very people that you're having, feeling resentment toward, your heart is filled with love toward them. That's when you obey the Word of God. That's what it means. You look in the mirror, and you see deep-seated anger, hatred towards someone. And you immediately go under the shower, and the Lord just... And His Word purifies you, cleanses you, and replaces that anger with love for the very person that you're angry with. You look in the mirror, and you see it reflects envy, or jealousy, or discontentment, or whatever it may be. The shower immediately cleanses you and gives you peace and joy that don't make sense. See, the mirror reflects my kind Oh, unwholesome thoughts, and the shower washes them out and cleanses me and purifies me. Can I get a witness? Now, beloved, if each of us begin with you, begin with me, you begin with you. This is one time that being selfish is okay. (laughs) Just begin with you. Don't worry about somebody next to you. Don't worry about your wife or your husband. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you individually. You say, oh, my goodness, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit <laughs> has that message for you. And if everyone begins with me and to begin with you, I believe with all my heart we can literally reverse the corrosion in our culture today. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your sovereignty, and I thank you that throughout these thousands of years, and all of the efforts that people exerted in order to distort or destroy the Word of God, you kept it safe for us today. And you have a purpose for that. You said the will of God is your sanctification. For the person who does not know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that they invite you to come into their life and experience the joy of your forgiveness. For the person who has known you for a long time and has got cold toward you and cold toward the Word of God, I pray for a special awakening in each spirit and soul. And so that, Lord, in these last days, we begin to live for you. And, Father, I pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.